0: All right. Well, welcome to discerning the will of God. I know you're all here this morning because you want to stare stare into the crystal ball and find out God's plan for your life, right? So I'm I'm glad we're gonna have it all done. We're gonna have weddings arranged by the end of the uh, the end of our time together. Um, we're gonna to have your awesome job lined up for you when we're done. So man, you came to the right workshop. Let me tell you. Oh, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Shay Sumlin. And uh, new on staff here at The Well for about three months from Texas and, uh, man, just loving every minute of it. So we're going to talk about the will of God and try to glean some sort of wisdom on how to discern the will of God, what is the will of God, and, and how to make decisions, day-to-day life that hopefully are in accordance with the will of God. So this is a big task. We'll try to knock it out in about 45 minutes or so here, but, you know... Before I get going, how many of you right now are in school, like in college, high school, something right now? Okay, a handful of y'all. How many of y'all, no school, you're done. Like, you've been in school, but you're done. You're out. Okay. So we got a little mix right now, something like that. You know, a lot of people, and I've done 17 years, I've been in college ministry, and I know this is a huge question for just about anybody, you know, what is God's will for my life? What should I be doing? Um... But in college, it was extremely interesting because when you're dealing with that, uh, that four to six year range you know, of uh, between high school prom and college graduation and what happens in that window, there's a huge crossroads in life and a lot of people are trying to figure out these things and ask these questions. So um, you know, and truth, truth be known, there's uh, a lot of fears that come with it when it comes to just day-to-day decisions, day-to-day, what should I be doing? Uh, For those that are in school, a lot of you right now might be wrestling, you know, what major should I have, what uh, track should I be pursuing, Uh, when I get out of college, if I'm going to college, you know, should I even go to college, Uh, if I do and I get out, what am I going to be doing, what kind of job should I have, Uh, what career vocation should I go, and when I'm in school should I take 15, you know, units, should I take two, Um, you know, all these questions, And then finally when you feel like you master that and you move into the next season of life, now it becomes, you know, gosh, who should I marry? Uh, Should I get married? Um, How many kids should we have? Should we have kids? Should we wait? Um, Should I rent or should I buy? Um, Should I own or lease? Should I, you know, take this career move that might get me here or should I take this one that will provide less hours but get me here? And so the questions just keep you know, running all the time as as human finite beings, we're always trying to figure out what is in the next season. And we're always, in and, and many of us, I don't know exactly where you're at, but a lot of folks that I talk to, no matter what season in life, can have this tendency to get paralyzed by some of these questions that they're wrestling with, because there is this fear of the unknown. And we don't want to make decisions that are going to waste time or cost us money or cost us relational investment um, or end up getting five years down the road and know that this was a mistake. And so we're paralyzed. And so there's probably no greater time of decision for a lot of folks than that range from like 18 up into your 30s starting there and then even past that into a midlife crisis, whatever it may be. You know, a lot of folks in college that I talked to, they, they, had, they didn't have the midlife, they are having the quarter life crisis. You know, it's just kind of, what do I do right here? And we're paralyzed by it. My question to you is, why do we struggle with this? Why do we, as, as human beings, continue to wrestle with the unknown and have a hard time trusting God, have a hard time, you know, having some, any sort of confidence in what's next? Why do we wrestle so much? Well, you could probably throw some at me, but I'll go ahead and give you a few that I've noticed uh, that tend to come along the way. One, we've already hinted at it, and that's just the issue of fear and worry. We are worrisome creatures. I think you spend any time in the scriptures and you will see Jesus knows this about us. Why do you worry? Do you not know that you're Father in heaven? I mean, we're, we're worrying people. Um, we have a hard time not knowing things, and so we fear. And we get a lot of times what happens with that is paralysis of analysis, right? We just start overthinking. And we just freeze, and, we're like, and we can't do anything because we're just so worried. And that's one of the reasons why we struggle with the will of God, is we worry that somehow it's going to get screwed up. Second thing I think uh, why do we struggle with this is some of the outside pressures. Many of you growing up early in life had some influences that set you on a trajectory of that worry. For some, it was family. Some of you had the family pressures. Maybe it was, you know, you need to get in school and you need to get a degree and you need to get a good job. You know, and they're just on you. And you got your family. I talk to collegians all the time who they don't even know why they're in college other than the fact that their parents told them that's what you're going to do. And you're going to go pursue this degree and you're going to pursue that vocational route. And so they, they struggle with it and they're paralyzed by it because of some of the family. Maybe it's not uh, school or uh, family. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, pressures that come in that season of, of just peer pressure, you know, um, I don't know about you guys, but when I was going through college, when I started college, when I transferred to, from junior college to regular level, uh, I had 66 hours under my belt, all right? I was excited. I was a, I was a junior, legally. And uh, Mike Sladen, the guy that you saw on stage there, he transferred in the same year I was, had 66 hours. He transferred. He came in as a freshman with zero. And I watched him graduate before me. I watched him lap me, you know. I watched him go out and get a job before me. I watched him get married before me. I watched him have kids before me. And if any of you have ever been there, and you watch your peers and your friends take off in life in a way that you think you should be taking off, that will absolutely kill you when it comes to worry and anxiety about God's will because you're seeing everybody get ahead of you. You know, that's one of them, peers. Some of it's just the cultural values, you know. That idea of keeping up with the Joneses, it's all around us, right? Turn on the TV. You don't even need your friends to be getting married before you. Everybody in the world seems like they're getting married before you. You know, everybody else seems like they're making more money than you. Everybody else seems like they're driving better cars than you. Everybody else seems like they've got better relationships and community than you. And so we just compare ourselves right and left. And so it just cripples us. It cripples us when it comes to this, but I think honestly, and I'm just going to say this as as a former college pastor, I think school in America has a lot to do with really crippling people when it comes to the will of God. And Let me explain this a little bit. Whether you've been in school or not, you need to be aware of this because these are some of the trends that are out there right now. Uh, In a sense, I think college has done to confuse people more than it has done to help them when it comes to decision-making in life, and here's why. Probably never before in history right now, uh, the history of college, have, been more, have been, people have been more confused as to why they're in college. And uh, listen to these stats right now. Right now, 80% of incoming freshmen in universities across the nation, 80% of incoming freshmen have yet to declare a major, even though they've already applied, been accepted, and started classes right now. 80%. That means that parents and students alike have chosen a a major institution, have dished out thousands of dollars, or taken out thousands of dollars in loans, um, yet 80% of the folks that are there don't even know why they're there when they started it. That's a little backwards. So it's no wonder why the next stat makes sense when you find out that 50% of all students in American colleges right now will change their majors at least once or change colleges at least once compared to less than 5% for students in other countries. is that interesting? That's an American phenomenon. 50% of all collegians will change their majors over and over again, or change colleges over and over again, less than 5% for students who are in other countries. Because most students, when they get in, I don't know if you realize, but when colleges were created, you went there because you knew what you needed to do and you were going to get equipped. What has college done? It's turned into 13th grade for a lot of folks, right? It's just the next thing. So meanwhile, in the midst of all this, so while high school seniors are heading into college to try to figure out, you know, how can I chase that American dream? Along this journey of figuring out, it's costing the average college graduate between ten dollars and $30,000 in student loan debt. And that's not even factoring the credit card debt. And not only that, but studies have shown that only 20% of collegians actually end up getting a job in the same field that they earn their degree in. Isn't that interesting? When you listen to that, when I think about the, the definition of insanity, I mean, that sounds a lot like it, right? It's, it's 80% of collegians right now jumping into uh, a school so that they can get a degree that they're ultimately not even going to use. Meanwhile, racking up all this debt, and I think for a lot of folks that I'm seeing, that then sends them off into this trajectory of life of trying just absolutely confused, vocationally speaking, why they're here. I mean, that's insanity. And the most alarming stat that I found is that in a recent survey of college grads across the nation, when asked what is the most significant thing you took away from your college years, the most common response is it really helped me to cultivate my social identity. Wow, that's a high price. $30,000 $30,000 in loans so you can have more friends. That's really cool. And so why do I, I bring all that up? Is just because, honestly, school is another factor out there for why so many people are confused about why they're here on planet Earth. You know? And, uh, and it's just nuts for me to see people all torn up trying to figure out why am I here. Uh, a, a national survey that was taken in 2007 asked uh, college students, what are your number one question? Your number one question that you have coming out of college. Number one question is, why am I here? Why am I on earth? Number two that was listed was, what am I supposed to be doing? Number eight was, where can I buy cheap beer? But that was a different one in there. (laughs) Now, again, I, I don't bring all that up just to depress everybody. And for those of you that are in school to make you go, well, God, I'm dropping. I'm coming. Shay told me that I don't need to go, you know. So <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that in addition to all the regular fears and anxieties and family pressures and peer pressures and keeping up with the cultural Joneses, you know, school plays an issue into that as well. But I'm going to tell you what I think is the most important. Uh, significant reason why our people are so confused right now when it comes to their identity and direction, and it's a lack of biblical discernment concerning God's will. Quite frankly, the majority of people out there, you, Christians I'm speaking of, just don't know what God says about why you're here. And so there's confusion. And I think it's very interesting. Christians, no matter how sincere they are about their faith, they're just not educated in the Word. It's the reason why Jesus said 11 times in the New Testament, Jesus said to the Pharisees, have you not read? I mean, you're over here doing all these things and saying all these things, but Jesus' question to them was, have you not read? Had you just opened it up and read it, you would have clearly understood what God's intention for you was. But you've gone off here on this other track and you've created this own sub-identity for yourself and these own sub-values and you have no, you're, meanwhile, you're completely missing the point. And so all those things combined, they can add confusion to God's will for our life if we don't clearly understand. And so here's what I want to tell you, first of all, is that God demands we know his will. God demands that you know his will. Now, part of your question that may go off is, well, how can I? How do I know all these things? How God can tell me that? But it's true. Um, Ephesians 5, verse 17 Paul says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. Do not be foolish. Don't live life like you don't know. Because the truth is, you can know. And so the question that comes up is, well, how can I? Is it possible, for instance, to know 100% who it is you're going to marry in this lifetime? No. Is it possible for you to know 100% exactly what job you're going to hold 10 years from now, and so what you should be doing right now to get to that job? Is it possible to have that kind of confidence, to know what school you should go to, to know what, you know, what tracks you should be taking in life? Where should you be spending your time? Is it possible to 100% know it? And no, you can't, but yes, you can. And so what I want to present in this session is that I think, scripturally speaking, you're going to find that God ultimately has two wills for your life. All right? The first one we're going to call the perceptive will. His known will, the one that has been revealed. This is the first will of God, that He has made it very clear. There is a will of God that you can know 100% uh, with complete certainty. This is God's revealed will, a will. The, The things that He's laid out in Scripture that He's told us that we're to be doing, His moral will that we know we're supposed to be obeying. So the fact is there's several places in Scripture where the author comes out and says specifically, "This is God's will." Can you think of any? Anybody think of any places in the scripture where Jesus, he comes out and says, "This is God's will." Don't be scared. Thessalonians. Thessalonians. What are you thinking of? First, that's four, three. Yeah, for this is God's will, that you be sanctified, that you avoid sexual immorality." Okay, there's one place right there, in ink where God comes out and says, "This is my will." You can know it without any fog. You need to avoid sexual immorality. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Any other times you can think where he comes out and says this is will, his will? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Yeah, there are some places where uh, maybe it doesn't even use the words it's his will, but he'll tell you this is why I put you here. Absolutely. That you go out into all nations making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yeah, he's given us a commission there. Any other places, though, where you can think of the actual words? It is God's will. It's not the actual words, but when somebody asked about the greatest commandments, he said to love God and Yeah, he summed it up real quick, didn't he? He made it pretty clear. Yeah, of all the commandments, sum it up right here. Love God and love your neighbor. Absolutely. How about this? 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Uh, it's interesting. Paul gives this final list at the end of this book, Um, that the reader needed to take note of. These are things you need to be doing. You need to respect hard workers, live in peace with one another, help the weak, be joyful, pray continually, giving thanks. And he says this at the end. He says, all these are God's will for us in Christ Jesus. There's a will there. 1 Peter 2.15. Peter says, it's God's will that by doing good you would silence the talk of foolish men. So it's God's will that you would do good. And so what you're going to find is there's probably actually close to a dozen places in the New Testament where the scripture actually comes out and tells us this is God's will. So there is a moral, known, revealed will that we're supposed to do in addition to the Great Commission, loving your neighbor, praying often, sharing our faith. All these, man, they're universal to everyone. There's no mystery here. You don't have to guess. This is why God put you here And what it is you're supposed to be doing, and how it is you're supposed to be living. And he says, This is is the will I want for you. Now, the question is, how do we respond? In each of these two wills that I'm going to give you, there is the will and there is a response to this will. Well, in response to God's known will, his revealed will, the response is obedience. The response is obedience. Our obedience to God's known will is supposed to supersede our worry and our anxiety about what we'll see in the other will that we can't know. And so, that's his response to us. These, of all these primary things, uh, of all the things in life that we're to be obsessed with, we should be obsessed with that which is known, not simply that which is unknown. And so, we're to obey that. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, remember when he said, Seek first the kingdom, and then all these other things shall be given to you. Those should be provided. They'll be added. It's interesting. Uh, one time I was in the Word and I was spending some time, this was in college, and I came across this passage, Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16. Listen to what this verse says. and It stumped me at first. When the author of Hebrews said, Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And it's simply uh, an admonition that this is how you pray to God. When you approach the throne of grace, that's in prayer, you approach with confidence so that you might find help and mercy in your time of need. And it stumped me because I was like, how can you approach the throne? Because in that time, remember, I'm in college, so all I care about right now is finding a mate and having some sort of identity. And so I'm I'm going to God, and I'm thinking, how can I 100% go in confidence to the throne of grace and pray in confidence? And it wasn't until I read 1 John 5.14 that it's almost as if John answers that question literally for me. Remember, Hebrews says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. John says this in 1 John 5.14, this is the confidence which we have before him. So if there's ever a clear answer, there it is. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Isn't that interesting? God says, when you come to me in prayer, in your time of need, you can ask anything you want according to my will, and I'll answer your prayer. Well, wait a minute. So now we have that question that comes out. Which will are we talking about here? Am I talking about the things that I don't know? Do I go to him and go, Lord? And I found that all of a sudden for me, my prayer life was obsessed with going to God of simply the things that I don't know. God, give me this girl. I want her. She's awesome. You know, She's beautiful and all these things. And then she would break up with me. And so then I didn't understand. God, am I not coming with confidence? Do you I know, just need to believe? And I realized... He's talking about his known will. You go pray in accordance to that. My prayers, my prayer life changed. It's not that you can't go to God with those things. We'll find you can approach God with anything. But what he wants is your obsession with that which he's already told you to be doing. So when you approach God, the way you approach God in confidence, instead of just, Lord, you know, bring that girl to me. Lord, help me to be a godly man. Lord, help me to be the kind of guy that one day can lead a wife should you choose to give me one. Now you think God hears that prayer? absolutely, because I've got a million places in Scripture where he's told me what kind of man I need to be. You know, Lord, help me to be faithful in your great commission, Lord, help to guard my purity, you know so that I'm not out there just running around throwing myself you know throwing my pearls to swine here you know Lord help me help me to live a life that that exalts you and that brings other people to you in faith, and you think God's up in heaven going. I ain't answering that one. No way. What God's thinking is, I'm glad you listened. Absolutely. You get it. You're a child of mine. You're asking the right things. And so, again, our lives should be consumed with those things which are eternal, which matter, which are set forth in Scripture, which are not, there's no mystery to them. They're clear. This is what you should be doing. This is how you're supposed to live. The problem for most of us, if we're to be honest with ourselves, is that as Christians, we tend to be way more shaped by the world than we do by the word. We're way more concerned with the other things out there than we are with what God has told us to be doing. And uh, I want to paint a picture for you visually here in your head the difference between what we'll call the American dream, which is all around us, and the Great Commission. And I want to show you two completely different you know, contrast here, what's going on. When you think of the American dream, when it's stated out in our forefathers, what is it? It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Who's happiness? My happiness, right? Because that's what we really mean. Now, granted, when that was crafted, it was more designed towards the oppression of government and land and my freedom to go pursue land and where I couldn't before in England. And so, That was the heart of it, but really, where have we taken that in our culture? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's climbing that economic ladder. It's being all that I can be. It's self-centered. It's not about sacrifice. It's about gaining. But when you look at the Great Commission, what does Jesus say? He says, go therefore into all nations. This is why you're here, okay? It's not life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is why you're here. Go therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to what? Obey all that I've commanded. That's why you're here. You go take the will that I've given you, and you go preach it, and you get others to follow it as well. That's why you're here. Now that one is not about me, it's about him. It's not about gaining and hoarding. It's about giving and sacrificing. It's about picking up my cross daily and dying to myself. And they're almost two completely different things. But yet what I find in Christianity, in churches that I've visited all across the country, everywhere it's the same. It is these people that look more like the world than they do God's word. Because we're more obsessed with that. We're out in culture every day, which is good, but we're more shaped by it, and it produces that worry and that fear in there, and it also distracts us from doing what we should be doing. And so a lot of us, maybe, and I don't know your motives for coming in here today, but maybe it was obsessed with, man, I just don't know what's next for me. I just need some some guidance and some counsel. You know, what should I be doing next? How do I make this decision? I don't know if it's going to be right or wrong. What I want to tell you about is focus on what you know. Don't focus on what you don't know. Focus on what Jesus has put in front of you. And I promise you that if you focus on that will, you cannot miss the next one we're going to talk about. The next will, incidentally... Oh, and and let me just tell you, that's why you have uh, God telling you in 1 Peter 3, he tells husbands, you know, live with your wives in an understanding way, right? And he says, otherwise your prayers will be hindered. Meaning... Don't you come to me about all these things that you want and all these things you want to do when you're not even doing what I told you to do. Husbands, go live with your wives in an understanding way. Love on your wives. Be sensitive to your wives. Shepherd your wives. Nourish your wives. Otherwise, don't bring your business of prayer with me asking for all these things that you want because I want you more obsessed with my will first. I mean, that's the the essence of that. But if you're doing that, okay, let's assume hypothetically everybody in here, we're in step with the Spirit, you're fallen Jesus, you're living out the Great Commission, you understand this is why I'm on this earth, is to serve Him, to worship Him, and to make followers of Him. That's what I'm here for. Okay, well now let's talk about the other will, because there is another will there, and it's God's, instead of His perceptive will, now we have God's providential will. This is the second will, His unknown will. It's not necessarily his moral will, but this amoral will. It's neither here nor there. It's right or left. It's what's to come that we have no clue to know about. How do we respond to things like, who am I going to marry? What career should I choose? What school should I choose? Where should I live? All these things. How do you respond to that? A few ways, okay? Number one, and this is the obvious one, trust. In that same passage where Jesus says, uh, seek first the kingdom and all these things shall be added to you. Do you remember what else he says in that? He says, why do you worry? Why do you worry? Do I not take care of the lilies of the field? Do I not take care of the sparrows that fall? I mean, do I not take care of these little things? How much more important are you? Trust. Trust. Trust me that I'm a good God. I'm a good father. I know what's best for you. Trust me that I can see, as he told Israel and Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. I know what's ahead. I know you can't see what's behind that curtain, but I can. But those things are little of importance. I will clothe you. I will shepherd you. I will nourish you. I'll take care of you. I know your longings that you might want to be married that you would like to have a job that actually fulfills I understand that. He's a sensitive father. But at the same time, this is where I want your focus. And so in these other things that you cannot control, trust me. Trust me. Don't worry. And so that's the obvious and immediate response that you and I need to have when it comes to the unknown will of God is that we would trust. But secondly, I would tell you, act freely but responsibly. Honestly, I'm going to tell you up front, this is probably going to rub a few wrong as we get into this a little bit, but that's okay. Honestly, you've got some lateral freedom in choosing things. God has given us a lateral freedom on this earth. Did you have the decision today to come here to the guild or not? Yes, God has given you lateral freedom that you could have slept in, you could have done whatever you want to do, but you came here. You've got some lateral freedom in those right or left decisions, not wrong or right, Remember, we know what God's will is, morally, but in those ones that are amoral, okay, should I go to, uh, you know, for you ladies, should I marry Rob or Jeremy? Which one? I say, who cares, all right? So long as Rob and Jeremy love the Lord, so long as Rob and Jeremy are obsessed with the things of God, then who cares, all right? Pick one, throw a dart if you want to. I don't (laughs) care, you know, So long as you understand what you're getting into in a relationship. And if God wants to bless and provide, then fantastic. You're trusting him, so you're not going to worry. But when it comes time to make that call, here nor there. Um, Should I go to uh, uh, Fresno Pacific or should I go to Fresno State? Because one's heathen and one's Christian. It doesn't matter. You're going to the University of North Texas. That's what God's will is for you, all right? It doesn't matter, okay? It does matter, and we're going to go through some decision-making process here to help you think, because I know people get stumped on it, but ultimately, in the grand scheme of eternity, what matters is what God has already revealed to you. That's what matters, And I don't care if this is going to sound a little Sunday schoolish, okay, and you're going to walk out there going, all right, well, that was the obvious, but maybe we need a kick in the obvious every now and then, all right? That we need to be trusting God, we need to be obsessed with what He's doing, with what He's called us to do, and those things we don't worry about, we just go ahead and make make decisions. All right, go. Great. You get to one school, and fantastic. It turns out great for you. Or maybe it doesn't. And you need to transfer in another one to be part of that statistic. Then fantastic, okay? What matters is what are you doing at that school for the sake of the kingdom? Okay, fantastic. You dated this guy, all right? And he's a charmer and he's sweet and he's kind, okay? <laughs> fantastic. I don't care whether he has brown hair or it's the guy with blonde hair. It doesn't matter. What is your relationship like? Are you honoring the Lord in it? Are you using that relationship to further the kingdom or just simply to further yourself and your own kingdom? You know, those are the questions that we need to be asking and answering. Now, having said that, I realize that sometimes there's this, some decisions out there that get sticky, and how do we make the right call on things? How can we think through some of these? So I've given you a handout with some funky-looking triangle on there and some other things. These are very practical. You can, some of you are going to love these, and you're going to think, oh, this is brilliant. Others, you're going to look at this and go, oh, my gosh, this is retarded. That's all right, fine. I don't care. Um, Take this and do what you want with it, but here's some thoughts that might help you when some of those right or left decisions come into play. Should I make this career move? Should I move to this city? Should I do these things? Just chew through some of these. First of all, start with your triangle there. Three questions I would have you ask and answer. The first one is an upward question. You can write in there, upward. This is the first question you need to be asking, and that is, Will this decision violate God or his commandments? It's an upward decision that's always first. When I'm going to decide whether I'm going to jump into a relationship, whether I'm going to take this job or this career move, move to this city, go to this school, whatever it may be, I'm going upward first. Will this violate God's commandments, his word? Um, If it does, okay, should I go... You know, I need a job. Should I take this job at this strip club? Okay, well, let's talk about that for a second. Let's go upward, all right? No, okay? No. All right? Should I work at McDonald's or uh, should I work at In-N-Out? Well, preferably In-N-Out, but either way, okay? Doesn't matter. Go make your money. Go serve God. There's people at both that need Jesus, and either one of them is going to give you an income, okay? So fantastic. It doesn't violate God. We move to the second one. The second decision is inward. We move from upward to inward. And the question here is, does this decision stem from bad motives or false desires? You know, why am I wanting to make this move? Is it because I'm uh, monetarily greedy? And I'm more about getting the Benjamins right now, and so really that's what it is to me. It's not about stewardship of God's money. It's about what kind of uh, success I can climb. And money I can hoard, I'm not saying money's a bad thing, it doesn't always have to be a bad thing, but you're checking your inward motives. Am I gonna to have to run over people to get this because it's more about exalting myself versus somebody else? You wanna check that because honestly, if there's a false motive there, then no. The answer is no, I'm not gonna take this deal. I'm not gonna make this decision because it stems from false, unholy motives. But let's say it's good. Let's say, okay, listen, this isn't going to violate God or any of his stewardships. Uh, When it comes to inward, um, my motives are clear. They're pure. I just simply want to be a good steward of what he's given me. Fantastic. Now we move to the last one, which is outward. Upward, inward, outward. And I'm going to ask here, does this violate any current circumstances or stewardships? So let me give you an example of this. A couple years ago, in our college ministry, had a guy, he was an exceptional leader within our ministry, Uh, He was leading a small group. He was just fired up for Jesus. He was very influential. And uh, he comes to me about three months into the year, and he says, hey, I've got an incredible opportunity to go on the road with this Christian band and be kind of a a roadie with them. And it's an incredible opportunity. It's kind of down the line of what I'd like to do. And um, Anyways, these guys are going to let me on the tour bus with them and cruise all over the nation for five months. And... uh, so he came to me asking me, you know can I should I do it and so we went to these three things we went to first of all upward, okay, is there anything immoral about what you're wanting to do right here you know no, it was check I mean there's great opportunity, opportunity to honor to the Lord, fantastic move along second are this is this inward are you just Or you just really want the prestige that comes with being with a a, a band that's recognized nationally and just going to make you feel good about yourself, and that's why you're doing it, so friends will like you better? No, no, no. It's just a great opportunity, really. I mean, it's just a chance of a lifetime for me to go get some exposure here and learn these things and that type of deal. Okay, fantastic. We go to the third one, outward. What stewardships are you currently involved in? Well, let's see. I just registered for classes. My parents just put down three grand Uh, out of their own money for my classes this semester. Um, I just signed on to lead a life group. I'm a couple months in here, and I'm shepherding these people. Okay, so what's that going to look like if you bail on all those things? And so what I would tell him is, no, that's not honoring to God. That's not the right decision for you if other people are going to get crushed in your wake. And so you have a stewardship. You need to consider that first. You gave your word. You gave your word that you were going to shepherd these people for nine months. You gave your parents your word that you were going to honor their money and, and take these classes. You gave the school your word that you were going to go to class. You know, and so to break all these things, people were going to get wounded. Now I said, here's the deal. And he was also in a, a lease contract in his, his rental place with some roommates who were going to have to pick up his rent. So I just said, if you can go to your roommates and they can find a new roommate without any cost to them, Check you can go to your parents, if they're okay with swallowing three grand that they just put on your plate for these classes, check. If you can go to your uh, life group and we can get another leader who can slide in and none of your guys are going to be upset about having a new shepherd, then fantastic. And so you know what he did? He actually went to every one of those and asked. He got green lights from everybody. The school, his parents were okay with it. I don't know why. Uh, His roommates were cool, his job, everything. So at the end of the day, I was like, great, nobody's going to get crushed. Go do it. It's neither here nor there. Go have fun. Go learn, you know? But if one of those was going to bite them in the end, if just one of those groups was going to get hurt, don't do it. It's not the decision for you. Anyways, that's one practical deal that you can just jump through when you got some decisions made. Real quickly, let me just throw through. This is basically the same thing, these seven questions, but in a different manner. And here's what I would, some things you can ask. Number one, is this decision in accordance with the will of God? That means his moral or missional will. Same thing as the upward, right? Is this decision in accordance with the will of God, his moral known will? If it's not, don't do it. Second, is every part of this decision consistent with God's character? And what I mean by that is as you as you enter into whatever this decision is, is it reflective? Is it not only obeying the scriptures, but is it reflective of the nature of who he is? Will this contradict because remember as believers, we are a priesthood. We are a living example. If you're married, your marriage is a reflection of the of our bridegroom and the church. And so every decision we make is reflective and paints a picture of our God. Is this going to be a bad witness? to who our God is, you know? Uh, Jumping in this relationship with this guy, he might be a Christian, at least in terminology. You know, he might be involved in church, but is his character level that by the time you end up dating him, he's going to stain you, and therefore it's going to stain our God. Don't do it. Third, is this decision wise? And by that, what I mean is, does it just make sense? Is it just make good logical sense, right? I don't need to go too much into that, but just is it wise? Is it unhealthy? And let me just tell you, you're probably going to need some people around you to verify that because most of us aren't smart enough on our own to figure out what's wise. You need some people who are wiser than you to help make that decision. Fourth, is all that this decision involves, is it from the Lord? This is more the inward deal. Is it from the Lord? Meaning, are there any hidden... uh, hidden motives here. And let me just tell you this, and this is just a little soapbox nugget here for you. I hear a lot of people say a lot of times, God told me to do this. And they will use that as a trump card to anything they want. Oh, well, God clearly told me to do this. Did he? Do you know what it means, by the way, in the Ten Commandments to take the the Lord's name in vain? It does not mean what you think it means. It does not mean putting a God in front of the word damn. That's not taking the Lord's name in vain. What that commandment means is that you make an oath that you say God made for you when he never did. You are taking the name, the authority of God, and you are stamping it on something that he never told you to do. That is using his name, his authority in vain. We don't do that. Uh, I've had friends that have just thrown that out right and left. Oh, no, God told me clearly to date this guy. He's not a believer. Really? Did God really? Did the coffee, just, just coffee pot just speak to you in the morning and tell you? you know? Are you sure you didn't have gas that day? What was it? You know, Be very careful about throwing God's name on every decision that you make. Be very careful with that because you could very well be taking his name in vain if that is not what he's led you to do. So I'm just saying, I just throw that out as a little warning there for you. Take that, put that in the bank a little bit, all right? Uh, Fifth, is this decision confirmed by others in the body of Christ? Are there respected, trusted believers who would agree with what you're doing? There are about a million proverbs out there that talk about isolating yourself and being in the companion of fools or not seeking counsel, the, the truth is, is that God has given us the body for a reason, and there are people that you need to bounce things off of. So is this decision confirmed by others in the body of Christ? Sixth, and along with that, is this word that led you to this decision, is it persistent? Is it persistent? Meaning, was this decision, was it impulsive? Was it just a whim, or is this something that's been poking you for a while? Um... This is a big move for my family coming out to uh, California from Texas. 35 years of my life were cut off in one day and just set aside to move out of this place where I only knew two people. I mean, that was it. And so you want to talk about trying to discern God's will on a move like that? We have been bathing this baby in prayer. Uh, I turned down this job three times before I accepted it on the fourth time because I don't trust myself. I had a relationship with Brad. Back in the day, I didn't trust myself to try to move out here and try to reclaim some sort of something I had with him in 1995. I wanted to make sure this is where the Lord wanted us. I wanted to make sure this is where we're going to be used, where we're going to be effective for his kingdom. And so I had to check my my motives. My wife and I sometimes will do this thing when it comes to purchasing something. You want a big screen TV? You want that new car? You know what we'll do? We'll take a sticky note and put it on the mirror in the bathroom and put the item on it, and we'll leave it there for about two weeks. And we'll find that if at the end of two weeks that's still there, then maybe it's persistent. Maybe it's there. Sometimes maybe we need a month or a year before we take that thing down. You know what I'm saying? But too many times I've had people, they'll be sitting there, uh, football does this around Super Bowl time. You'll start seeing the big screen TV commercials because they know we're sinners, right? They know we're impulsive. Throw that thing up there. And you know what our justification process is? Oh, man, we're going to have the boys over. 42 inches ain't enough. I'm going to have to get 60 up in this mug. And so do we have the money for it? No, but I got a credit card. That's why the Lord gave me this thing, right? Because God told me I could have my American Express. And so we'll go up and charge that thing and be in debt. We've justified it for the sake of some godly purpose. Put a sticky note up on your mirror. Pray about it for a couple weeks. Is it persistent? Has God been nudging you at this for a while to confirm it? And then lastly, is this decision consistent with God's prior guidance to me? Uh, God has the freedom uh, to um, make an audible at the last minute if he wants to, but typically he doesn't. (coughs) Typically there's no turning with God. Typically he's been pretty consistent. And so when I see somebody all of a sudden do something that is absolutely completely foreign to any of their leadings in the past, I want to check it first. Doesn't mean it's always wrong, but I want to make sure that this is consistent to how God has typically dealt with you, you know, throughout. God has done a lot of strange things in my life, but fairly, it's been fairly consistent in how he's shaped me and molded me along the way. And so just a, a few questions you might want to ask as you get going. That's one of the things. So trust God with His unknown. Act freely but responsibly and maybe use this grid to help you. And then finally, seek counsel and pray. Proverbs eleven fourteen: 14, where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in the abundance of counselors, there is victory. Pray. Get some folks around you. Ask, is this the right thing? And then make the call. And you know what? I've told people, my job right now, I really don't care. You can talk about calling. And let me throw out a few books to you real quick. Uh, if you're interested in calling, one, has God called me? Go read The Call by Oz Guinness. Great book, uh, uh, Friesen, the decision making and the will of God. Great book. It's probably just the pillar work. It's like that thick, and it will rock your world. Just read those two, and you don't need to read anything else. Decision making, the will of God. But um, but honestly, uh, when it, you know this idea of being called, we can get into that all we want. But when it comes to my job, I don't care if I'm being paid by our church or if I'm flipping burgers at In and Out. I don't care. I am going to make disciples, I'm going to love my wife, I'm going to lead her in the things of God, and I'm going to fulfill God's kingdom purposes for me on this earth until he calls me home. That's it. I don't care. So I don't really care where my paycheck comes from. I just want to be about his business. Now, God has gifted you, he's given you talents, he's shaped you, and so there are some of you that are great with technology. Man, you are masterful artists. Some of you are great in design, or maybe it's industry. Whatever it may be, and that's where you need to go. Those are the, the lines of vocation maybe you need to pursue. But you better be using that towards an eternal end. Because at the end of the day, all you're doing is swabbing the deck on a sinking ship. You're just straightening a picture frame in a burning house. Because at the end of the day, it's about his kingdom. And you go read Luke 19 sometime. The parable of the minas, And ask yourself, why has God put me here? What investments am I making eternally? But how am I using just the raw physical talents and mind and everything that he's given you, which you're supposed to use, but how am I using it towards his end? So at the end of the day, I'm sorry if I didn't provide for you a crystal ball and have arranged those marriages and and have set forth your next paycheck and where that's going to come from, but what I can tell you is God has given you a will. He's giving you a will. It's in his word. Read it. And obey it. You know, you want to know whether you love God? Jesus said in John 14, 21, He who has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. Obey his will. I promise you, now here's a promise, okay? As long as you are centered in the known will of God, you will not miss the unknown. When I watched Mike Slayton lap me, and I watched him get married and have kids and all this before me, and I sat there groveling, I had no idea that God's timing was perfect. My six and a half years of undergrad paid off royally because right at the right time is when I met my wife. I would have never met her had I stayed on track. Uh, I got offered the dream job I had before this one um, only because of the right time. And God, you will not miss out on his unknown will if you are faithful in that which is known. Amen? Does that make sense? Okay, let me pray and then if you have any questions, we can stick around and, and chat a little bit. Father, I just thank you so much just for uh, the privilege of serving you. What a joy it is to be a son and a daughter of the Most High. What an awesome privilege it is to know that you are in control of our life, that there is not a day of our life that is outside of your hand. Lord, you have orchestrated it, and Father, you have planned it in goodness. You know what's best for us in ways that we can never know what's best for us. In fact, truth is, Lord, given to ourselves, we will screw this thing up. And so, Father, one, I just pray for this group. I pray for trust. I pray for a godly wisdom, Lord, that we would be faithful to obey you in what it is you have told us to do and that we would trust you in the things in which we have no control over, knowing that you are a good and gracious God who will not fail us. And so, Father, to that end, we pray that your Son would be exalted, that our lives would count, that as Paul said in Ephesians, we would not be unwise but wise that we would make the most of our opportunity because the days are evil. And so we would not be foolish, but we would understand what your will is so that our life can count for you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.